Let's look to our Lord in prayer. And now, our Father, what we want to do is to engage our hearts, our minds, our souls in what it is you want to teach us. Thanking you, Father, for who you are. Thanking you for what you've done, sending Jesus to die in our place for our sins. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. We've come here, Father, again to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It was weeks away before I was to head off for college. Saying goodbye to various relatives, I made my way into the home in which my mother had been raised, spending some time with uncles and aunts there. But there was a particular place in that house that I wanted to go and spend some time in. It would have been my grandfather's office. Now, my grandfather, I never met him. He died in his early 40s of a heart attack. But he had come from Europe, and he had started a construction company. And he was deeply burdened with putting together action plans where he could, in a given development that he was focused upon, oversee the construction of a church facility, a hospital, a school, and fourthly homes. As I made my way once again around that office, and everything in it had been constructed by his hands, I came up to his roll top, and I pulled out a file that had been there all those decades, and I opened it. And there I found the overall plan for this development that had evidently been on his heart, on his mind at the time of his death. When I closed the file, I was taken aback because I looked at the cover and I looked at the heading. It said the Nehemiah 3 plan. I have just gotten done speaking outside of Madison at a district conference. All the various evangelical free churches of Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, they had representatives there. I was wrapping things up, interim superintendent at that time, and a man came up to me at the close of one of the gatherings, and he said, "Uh, Gary, and then he introduced himself, and he said that um, I have a construction firm. In my heart, my burden is to help young churches that are getting started, that lack the wherewithal, to bring together construction workers from without Wisconsin and Upper Peninsula to converge together to help in the building of a new church facility in various settings. Would you help me? And I said, I'd be willing to give you any perspective and guidance that I possibly can. I said, one of the things on my mind, too, is that I'm to be given devotionals each day before the workers begin. Do you have any thoughts where to go in the scriptures? And I smiled. Have you ever considered the Nehemiah 3 plan, I asked? He hadn't. I said, why don't you go home, draw out as many observations from that third chapter of Nehemiah that you can. Email me, I'll respond back, let's create a dialogue. 
And the result will be, I think, that you're going to have a lot of insights from God's word on how to translate vision into action. What I want to do with you this morning is to look very carefully at the Nehemiah 3 plan. Put on your seatbelt because we're going to draw out seven values found in these verses that I think relate directly to home life, directly to the modern workplace of today, directly to the church, and directly to the political structures of this nation, and to see what God's word has to say about the way in which he would equip leaders to do significant work that would bring glory to his name. If you own your own business, by the way, this is definitely for you. Seven values we want to draw out. The first flows out of verse 1 and 2. We're going to put it like this. Number one, that spiritual leaders should value the priority of exemplary initiative. Spiritual leaders should value the priority of exemplary initiative. It's critically important that you are instilling in within the culture of those that you are working in, ministering to, a tremendous desire to be people of initiative, which is one of the key distinctives of leadership, the willing to take initiative. You want to instill that in the family. You want to instill that in the medical realm. You want to instill that in the schools. You want to instill that in the church. But it's got to be exemplary initiative, just as Jesus provided example of initiative when he went to the cross to die for our sins. Look at verse 1 and 2. Who takes the initiative? Then Eliashib. Eliashib the high priest. Eliashib the high priest rose up, and I want you to see already the teamwork here with his brothers, the priests. And they built the sheep gate. Now, what will be critically important to you, critically important to me, is that when you get to the last verse of this chapter, you end at the sheep gate. In other words, everything comes full circle. He's got everybody coordinated in the 45 sections of the reconstruction of these walls. As he moves counterclockwise. Notice the repetition of the wording. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred. Notice then the spiritual influence and example being demonstrated to the workers at large that they would go so far as to consecrate what they are doing. I say to this man via email, The people have got to understand this is much more than the construction of a building. This is something being done for the glory of God. Instill in them an initiative to honor God with the quality of their work, I say to them. Lead by example. Eliashib and his brothers do. And already you see teamwork here, which is needed in the home, needed in the church, needed in the workplace, and so on. General Eisenhower, later President Eisenhower. 
His biographer tells us that he would demonstrate the art of leadership with a simple piece of string. He'd put it on, on a table and say, pull it and it will follow whatever, wherever you wish. Push it and it will go nowhere at all. It's just that way when it comes to leading people. They need to follow a person who is leading by example. I'm watching her as she comes down the hallway. It's many years ago. She is a woman with many children in the home, and her husband was away on business. But I'd always been struck with the way in which there was such teamwork among the children of that home. And because our paths crossed, we stopped, talked for a minute, and I said, general question. How do you develop teamwork in your home? She said something that is memorable for me to this very age. She said, I never ask a 16-year-old to do what an 8-year-old can do. And I never ask an 8-year-old to do what a 16-year-old should do. I paused, stepped back, and I watched this powerful example of a woman of initiative who is creating a sense of teamwork within her home as everybody was leaving to go back, having services ended to their home. Here then, what Eisenhower was saying, and here what this mother was demonstrating, was the powerful priority of exemplary initiative in our vision work at this church. What's our vision again? Multiplying committed followers of Jesus Christ. Not merely adding, multiplying. It means leaders take the lead in the multiplication of disciples. We've infused this into our adult Bible fellowships. Furthermore, what we need to understand then is that just as in the case of Jesus and his disciples, he gave the example of how to disciple when he worked with them, they, in turn, would hit the streets of Jerusalem after his resurrection, and a powerful impact, an explosion of spirituality would take place where a multiplication, not merely addition, would occur where people were coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Multiplying disciples. Furthermore, the matter of the master plan. For us in this congregation, it goes together with the multiplication of disciples, the master planning strategy. So that multiplication comes together where ministry and facility are so coordinated for the glory of God. Third component, the raising up of the next generation of leadership. The elders are working through, in the coming weeks and months, J. Oswald Saunders' spiritual leadership book. There is to be a sense of example. There is to be a sense of exemplary initiative. There is to be the priority involved where I see a woman taking the initiative with her children, not expecting the 8-year-old to do what a 16-year-old ought to be, but not expecting the 16-year-old to be doing what an 8-year-old can be doing. She had worked out a system of coordination. And what Nehemiah is doing at this point is that he's moving from the communication of the vision to the coordination of the people. 
If this starts working itself out in the workplace, watch out. And when the church, the local church, does this, watch out. Because you've got all kinds of boards, all kinds of committees, and all kinds of teams and life groups and so on, networking together, cross-pollinating, and the result is high impact for the glory of God, the priority of exemplary initiative. The high priest here, he takes the lead, and rightly so. But now there's a second. There is a second value I want to draw out. You're going to see it in verse 3. You're going to see it in verse 6. And if we were to continue on, verses 13, 14, 15. Second of all, spiritual leaders should value the security of people's lives. And you say, Gary, help me. Help me to understand that. It was the nighttime inspection of Nehemiah, as we studied last week. Before you communicate the vision, you've got to evaluate the needs. It's nighttime. And if you look at chapter 2, verse 13, it reads, I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and I mark this. And it's gates that have been destroyed by fire. Now, if the gates are broken down, the people are vulnerable. The gates have got to be reconstructed, locked, bolted, so that the people are secure. Now, after having evaluated the needs with regard to the gates in that chapter 2, verse 13 scenario, He moves from evaluating the need to communicating the vision. Where in verse 17, he gets up before the people and he says, you see the trouble we're in? Now he identifies how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Now, did you see where the gates, it's mentioned, are burned? Now, as he moves from the communication of the vision to the coordination of the workers, here in this third chapter, you got the Nehemiah, the chapter 3 Nehemiah strategy unfolding for you here. Five times in this chapter, It talks about the way in which the workers rebuilt the gates, securing them, bolting them, locking them. For example, verse 3. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Verse 6. Joiada, the son of Peah, and Meshulam, the son of Bosadiah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. They laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, its bars. Three more times that will be stated. In verse 12, down through verse 15. What captures my attention is that this was done north, south, east, west. 
What this tells me then is that this leader did his homework while everybody else was sleeping. He was evaluating the needs and evaluate the needs in order to communicate the vision, and he knew some details about points of vulnerability. We're very thankful God has gifted this congregation with wonderful elders, wonderful deacons. I firmly believe that where there is a sense of security, there is greater opportunity for ministry. Security that allows that person then to have the freedom of their thought processes than to be able to engage God's word thoroughly. You see, spiritual leadership takes into account a sense of priority. Spiritual leadership takes into account a sense of security. And what we need to be able to do is to communicate to people that this is a congregation that takes leadership seriously on the basis of God's word. It's the Nehemiah 3 plan unfolding for you. I was reading an article on Israel. I always read it, so it seems, on Israel. And here is the lead paragraph. The concrete wall around certain parts of the West Bank was built to prevent terrorists and suicide bombers from entering Israeli cities and villages but has long been misrepresented in the press globally to accuse Israel of implementing an apartheid policy. But Benjamin Netanyahu, great leader that he is of Israel, knows you can't stop there. Private homes, schools, bus stops are being fortified. Furthermore, Israel has created a virtual protective dome over its skies, nicknamed the Iron Dome, and now is attempting to invent an anti-tunnel warning system. Boy. Spiritual leadership knows that we live in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, what the evil one will do is attempt to break through points of vulnerability to thwart the forward movement of the gospel message. So spiritual leadership takes into account the priority of exemplary initiative. Who's going to go first? But furthermore, encourages the hearts, the souls, the lives of people. Because it takes into account the security of people's lives as well. The disciples were in the upper room. Jesus had died. There's a certain word out in the streets that he's risen. And in John chapter 20 and verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus breaks in. (laughs) He's got a way of doing that in people's lives, you know. So what happens? Eight days later, his disciples are inside again. Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. There is a longing within the heart of people for peace. And I find that when effective shalom is being shared internally and externally among God's people, there is greater and greater degrees of impact for the glory of God through the ministries that God has entrusted us with. Spiritual leaders, 
the priority of exemplary initiative, verses 1 and 2, the security of people's lives, verse 3 and 6 in particular, but check out 13, 14, and 15 as well. But thirdly, spiritual leaders should value the variety of workers' abilities. The variety of workers' abilities. That mother, she understands that the ability of her 8-year-old and the ability of the 16-year-old are not one and the same at this point. There's variation. Variation. The Apostle Paul understood that as well because he likened this whole matter of variety to the human body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he would write in these words, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and so on and so forth. And you say, but Gary, how does that relate to the Nehemiah 3 plan? Well, in verse 1, here's the, here's the high priest and his team, his brothers, and they got their sleeves rolled up. They're building the sheep gate. They're taking initiative. From there, you look at verse 8. And in verse 8, there's Uziel, the son of Harhiah, the goldsmiths. There are people there who are skilled as goldsmiths. Not everybody is. But what Nehemiah has done is that he has been able to discern where the specialists can be found in our midst. Likewise, spiritual leadership in the church values the wide range, the variety of spiritual giftedness and draws out the gifts of one another for the glory of God. And all are of greatly value. They are created by God. I can picture Nehemiah now with hands on hips. Right after, considering Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. I know Nehemiah well. He's my buddy. And he doesn't know what to make of perfumers when it comes to construction of walls. What do you do? Just squirt the thing a few times and make the walls smell good? What do you do with this stuff? But then I take a step back, you see. And I understand that when it comes to spiritual leadership, you can't prejudge. Because lo and behold, what do of all these people, the perfumers, do? We are told in verse 8, they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. What that means then is that we value one another's gifts. And we don't assume prepackaging. And furthermore, we don't assume that what we are, our take on what the person's gifts is are truly God's take on what those gifts are. And we've got to value what is hidden as well as what is obvious. Years ago, I was watching a PBS documentary on America's Cup, Dennis Connors. He was guiding his ship through the winds and the waves. The whole crew was working around him. He skippered the boat. In this documentary, there was a piece about this project and showed the people on the crew, aside from Connors, in one particular 
individual, though, seems to stand out in the documentary because, because he never sees the water. Reading now from the PBS manuscript, though he goes on every one of the races, he never enjoys watching where the other boat is and how close they are to the finish line. He's continuously drenched by ocean waves. He works down in what's called the sewer of the boat. Man, does that sound exciting? He's down under. Never feels anything but the water pouring over him. But whatever he does down there, according to Dennis Connors in his account, makes that race possible for that boat. He makes it possible for them to win. See where we're going with this? You have just spotted the third value that spiritual leaders have got to be able to embrace. The variety of workers' abilities. Some are meant to be on deck. There are some skilled people that are beneath the deck. But everybody is part of the team, making things work, making things happen. You know something? There's even that dynamic found in verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahash, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Did you mark this? He and his daughters. So the daughters are also involved now in the repair of these walls. You look at verse 32, and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Got merchants on our hands here. Why? You're a spiritual leader. Well, you want to ask, where's the vested interest? The merchants want to make sure that economically Jerusalem thrives. So they too are putting their hands to the walls. Because those that are pushing back upon the reconstruction of the walls, Tobiah and his ilk, you see, do not want to see Jerusalem succeed. Now behind all of this, the spiritualities of good and evil. And behind all this is the challenge of being able to discern why the pushback and what is necessary to be able to achieve what needs to be achieved. And Nehemiah is anticipating that. So number one, you got the priority of exemplary initiative. Number two, you got the security of people's lives. And we've given you some examples of verse 3 and again verse 6. Thirdly, the variety of workers' abilities coinciding with what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body and linking it here in the Nehemiah 3 plan to verse 1, verse 8, verse 32. How about another value? Spiritual leaders, fourthly, should value the vicinity of various homes. Verse 5. In verse 5, next to him, the Tekoites repaired. But they live 11 miles outside the city limits. They're not part of the city itself. But Nehemiah knows where they're coming from. If you were to look further, you would find, for example, in verse 10, next to them, Jediah, the son of Hermoth, repaired opposite his house. How about transferring this to 2016 principalizing? 
ask yourself to what degree some ministries should be close to home and which one's further from home. To Koites, further removed. But they are examples. On the other hand, here's an individual who's very close to the house. Nehemiah may have seen there was vested interest and involvement in making certain that house was secure. And this man's got vested interest in making sure that his family is secure. He's thinking now of the way in which people operate. So it's January. It's a cold January. Snow is falling. It's a Sunday morning. And so I've got to be interacting with a wide range of stakeholders. How's I-43 looking? How's I-23 working? What's the snow level? What's plan B, plan C, plan D for certain stakeholders when it comes to ministries? These are the sorts of questions. These are the sort of answers that need to be pursued by people that are involved in the spiritual leadership of this church. We're blessed so blessed by the spiritual leadership of this church. When the elders gather together, they'll go around and they will update. When the deacons gather together, we get updates. You start pulling all this together, and what we realize here is that there is a complexity that requires unity. And that what we have to do is to communicate the vision, but we've got to coordinate the workers, and it all fits together for the glory of God. And the newcomer that comes for the first time has got to be able to have a sense that this is being thought through, worked through, even though they may not know all the details of what's entailed in all of this. They've got to be able to get a sense, a real sense, of how all this, you see, fits together. So you're thinking the I-43, you're thinking 23, and what is a Wednesday night going to look like when the temperatures are dropping? Questions needing answers. People are traveling distances. We are a regional church gathered in a local setting. What does that mean for us? We've got to develop still another value. That fifthly, spiritual leaders should value the unity of personal relationships. Now, notice the phrasing throughout this entire chapter. This is the Nehemiah 3 plan. Notice how many times you will find the phrase, and next to him, next to them, next to him, next to them. One might say, I don't know quite how to do this, but he's standing next to somebody that does, next to him. Very carefully now, you look at this, for example, verse 2, and next to him, the men of Jericho built. Next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. One's plural, the other is singular. Maybe this person's single at this point, sees a family working together, and he can lend his skills to show them how to do something. They work with him, incorporate him in, and out of this there's a value system of unity because there's a diversity of tasks. There's a diversity of settings. There's a diversity of people and a diversity of gifts, so it requires the unity of spirit, a next-to approach of him, and might I add, her. Those that have visited the National Forest in California understand this. Huge redwood trees, tallest trees world. Some have grown as high as 300 feet in height. National Geographic writer puts it this way. To anchor such a tree, one would expect the redwoods to have an elaborate root structure running deep into the ground. 
Yet just the opposite is true. The redwoods have fairly shallow root systems, but they grow together with the roots of other trees. And as a result, the roots strengthen one another and protect the trees in times of wind, in times of storm. And now you think of how the life groups and the stories and testimonies of last Sunday night talk about how people have have been able to address the winds and the storms of life itself. The priority of initiative, the security of lives, the variety of abilities, the vicinity of homes, the unity of relationships, the next two principle. Sixth, notice with me the industry of all workers, not some, because in verse 5, next to them the Tekoites repaired But mark this, their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Let's be honest about a fallen world. Some are going to work harder than others. Does that disillusion you? Well, let's ask another question. Did that disillusion the Tekoites? That was their supervisors. Check out verse 27. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. In other words, they said, I'm willing to take on extra work. Are you willing to take on extra work where needed? We live in a fallen world. God honors the industrious individual who understands the unity principle but connects it to the industry matter And now we can set furthermore an example of what it means to work hard in the secular workforce, schools, neighborhoods, in our families, in this this church. Which leads me to one more value. And for that, I want you to remind yourself, I want you to remind yourself of how during the night, Nighttime inspection. Nehemiah, making his rounds, evaluated the needs and noticed the broken down gates. Gripped his heart. What his brothers had said in chapter 1, verse 3 is true. The people in that setting were vulnerable. But look very carefully now at what happens as you ponder the significance of some 87, that now appears on the screen. Seventh, spiritual leaders should value the glory of God's desires. And now you find these words. On the holy mount stands the city he, God, founded. Mark this. Underline this. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. That's the Nehemiah 3 plan. More than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. And you ponder that, and you apply that, and connect that to what you see here about the gates in Nehemiah 3. And there is one more thing that stands out in your developing leadership skills. And we should be continuously developing ourselves. In verse 1, it all began at the sheep gate, didn't it? 
in verse 32, last verse of this chapter, between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. We've come full circle. And Nehemiah has made sure that every single wall section and every single person is connected. The walls are being rebuilt and God is getting the glory. So a young man is holding a file of his grandfather's. The Nehemiah 3 plan. A construction overseer wanting to start and develop facilities, build structures for new churches, wants a game plan. He ponders the Nehemiah 3 plan. And when you take these seven values and you tie it all together, it makes for a powerful church that seeks to keep God central to what we're all about. Let's stand together. We even see how all this is modeled in the way in which Jesus worked with his disciples. He drew them from various settings. They had various abilities. Came from various homes. He needed unity. He expected effort. And for some reason, according to your sovereign purposes... Jerusalem then and Jerusalem now remains the epicenter of your sovereign plan. So may we, whether it be as parents, single people, married people, young or old, at work, home, school, church, gathered and scattered, pull together these values as how they relate to the vision And how what Nehemiah did gives us a pattern to follow. And use all this now for your glory and for your people's good. We praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.